the Bible is a pretty thick book. Like this is a pretty impressively big book to say that you need to read the whole thing. Um, it's massive. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. It's been written by at least 40, um, probably more individuals over a span of more than 2,000 years, written on three different continents in three different languages originally. There have been more copies of the Bible sold, distributed than any book in the world. It's been the most scrutinized book in the world. It's been the most um, excavated, dug. Um, we have Greek and Hebrew manuscripts dating back nearly um, a little over 2,000 years. We've discovered tens of thousands of such uh, manuscripts. And the Bible is just a big, complicated, scary book. It's hard to understand. Like I said, there are 40 authors over 60 books, over, over 60 books in this book. Yet today, and for the next six weeks, I stand before you and claim that it is one unified story. Say, how? How is that true, Dion? And, and I don't mean that true life is erasing all the names out of the books. That would be heretical, and then you could go to a different church. We're not doing that. Um, but what I'm saying is the Bible does tell one unified story of the kingdom of God, of the unfolding of God's plan for his people and his creation. Um, and so for the next six weeks, that's what we're diving into. Um, it's super important. Stories are important. It's scientifically proven that story is the most effective way to communicate and absorb information, philosophies, ways of life, um, uh, uh, understanding how you fit into your organization, into your friend group, into just society. Story is how we understand how we do life. We all live, whether knowingly or unknowingly, according to the story that we understand the world to be, whether intentional or not. So if we don't seek to understand God's story, his full story, then we will get swept into some different story, whether created by ourselves of our own goals in life, of our own, um, how we see the good life to be, or, how, or we'll get swept into the culture, into the culture's um, picture of the good life, of what the culture wants you to be, or what the culture pressures you to conform into. So if we don't seek to understand God's story, we'll, we'll end up in someone else's story. This is God's story, and we belong to God. So we must own this story, meaning the story of the Bible, as our own. So maybe you've never read the whole Bible, or maybe you read the whole Bible every year or every 90 days, or if you do, I want to know how you do that. But maybe you have, maybe you have no intention of reading the Bible. Maybe you're here today and have no like, a desire or interest in reading what this old book has to say. I think for everybody that is here in every situation you're in, whether you love to read the Bible, have no desire to read the Bible, hate the Bible, don't understand the Bible, this series is going to be good for all of us because it's really, it's, I mean, I was talking to a friend actually last night, another pastor friend, and we were talking about just the big rocks in our faith where we know um, God really like flipped a switch in us. And one of the biggest ones, obviously first is my salvation. The second is, I think is, is when I first understood that like how the Bible truly fits together as one unified story. Um, and so I think that this is going to be life-changing, eye-opening, um, and really cool for all of us to be able to understand um, how God is working um, through history and now and in the future. Um, that's what this book talks about. It talks about all of that, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful. It's the unfolding of God's kingdom. And, spoiler alert, it all points to Jesus. That's really what this is about, is how this whole story points to how we find our fulfillment in Christ or how Christ saved the world. And so all, all good stories have four components, in my opinion. They have an origin, so where you came from. They have a problem, so what's, why are we even reading this thing? What, what, what's the point? What's the solution? How do we get out of it? And what's the goal? Where are we going? What is the ultimate goal? Where, where are we headed? So origin, problem, 
solution goal. The origin story is where we came from and is important, essential to the building blocks of how we understand reality, of how we understand faith, how we understand the gospel, and how we understand to live and engage in the, in the life that you live, in the culture that you're in, in the job that you work, in the people that you're around day to day. And so understanding our origin is central to being a follower of Christ and is central to understanding the story of the Bible, the unified story of the Bible. So we're going to read all the way from Genesis 1 to Revelation today. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we are going to read a lot. Genesis 1, chapter, uh, Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3. Um, so it'll be a good chunk of scripture. Just follow along with me. I'm going to read out of my Bible, and I do encourage you to get your Bibles out, but it will be on the screen, and Peter will help me out and flip through the, the slides with me. So I'll give you three Mississippi to get your Bibles out. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, Three Mississippi. It's right at the beginning. So easiest book of the, of the series to go. Just flip to your first page. All right, Genesis chapter one, the creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse sky. Evening came, and then morning the, next, the second day. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the water he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning, the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the, of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night, as well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to rule the day and night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning, the fourth day. Then God said, let the water swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters of the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came, and then morning, the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image. You guys need to, if you zoned out, tune in. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. 
He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. For on it he rested from all his work of creation. Breathe. That was a lot. So, the most important presupposition that we need when reading this, when understanding this, is that it is true. And that it's real. And that it absolutely happened. Like it actually happened. And it still has bearing on us today. This isn't a fairy tale. It's not a legend, a myth, an epic. It, it doesn't start with once upon a time or whatever. The first statement is in the beginning. So this is how time, as we understand it, how the world as we understand it started, and it really happened. We know this is the beginning of time as we know it, as God's created beings. So this week, we're going to hone in on three essential truths that we see in our origin story that shape how we see, the real, how we see reality and the gospel. So this story, the one story, this one story is truly, is really is the, the story of the gospel, guys. And so the first truth is that God is the creator of everything. In other words, the maker. In other words, the author of everything under him. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth is what it said. Everything else in reality, everything else in scripture hangs on this statement. If this statement isn't true, then nothing else is true. Then, everything, then nothing else in the Bible is true. Nothing else in your life is true. Nothing else is true. If this is not true, then there's no true. <laughs> and truth doesn't exist. And the real, then reality doesn't exist because God created in the beginning, created everything. Now you're thinking, wait, Dion, Dion, God made my iPhone? Like, in a sense, yes, because the materials that were there to create your iPhone wouldn't be there without the spoken word of God. Your house, your, your, your car, your, everything that you have would not exist if God did not create raw material. You see, God, without God, nothing exists. Without his creating act, nothing exists. No raw materials exist for, for anything if God didn't do anything. And so you're saying, okay, this is like, like life 101. Okay, Deanna, go, go teaching kids. Get out of here. No, but this is important because if we don't let this influence how we think of everything else in life, that God created everything, we can get many, many things really wrong. Let's actually, matter of fact, let's just stop and go back. In the beginning, God, before he created anything, in the beginning, God, he existed before. God is preeminent. There was nothing that created God. God just is and was and always will be, to be cheesy. Um, even the attempts of other writings so around the time that Genesis was um, written, there were other competing documents of creation stories, and even they couldn't even fathom having a God that just existed. Everything in every other creation document, that is popular, I'm sure there were other ones, um, but that, that kind of 
rose to the surface. They couldn't even imagine writing about a God that just existed. Their gods were created by chaos or by water. Something had to be a raw material to exist to create their gods, but our God, the one true God, just is, just existed. Amen. And the fact right there in, it helped, I, I, just that fact right there helps me in and of itself that the God that we get to call our, our dad, our friend, our savior, the one who helps us um, is the beginning. That fact right there is, is comforting to me that the one that, the God that we serve, the God that we worship is the one true God and existed before any of this happened, before he created any of this. And, and here's why it helps me too. If this all just happened, if it was, you know, just like happenstance, it just, it just like, poof, you know, something happened, it created, then that breaks down a lot of things. It breaks down a lot of things um, with, with ethics and, and uh, uh, reality and logic and reason. None of those things exist without a source, without a beginning, without God starting. So there's two categories. There's creator and there's creation. God alone goes in the category of creator and everything else falls into his creation. Angels, humans, mountains, your phone, your, I mean, everything falls under that category of creation and creator is separate. And that's important. Like I said, otherwise reality, logic, reason, ethics break down from there. Let me, let me show you an example. If you take away the creator, there's just creation. Then there's no authority. There's no plan. There's only human autonomy. There's only what we can feel and think. And if we look back in history, the history books that we have, we can see that human autonomy doesn't get us where we need to go. Human feelings and human thoughts is not, it, it can't lead us to what, what God wants for us, what we want for, you know, ultimate reality. So if we take away a creator, it's, I mean, it's hell. Now, if you, you can mess it up another way, you can mix the two, creator and creation and combine them. The God is in everything. We can we, we define things as, as, oh, this, this chair is, is God to me, or, or this, my phone is God to me, or, or this, this, what, it breaks down. We can define things, um, if we define things as they are a part of God, if, 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 if things on earth are God, then things just don't work. In Romans 1, it said that we will be tempted to worship created things, and this is not God's plan. This is not how God designed things to be and we misplace our love. I mean, I mean, you probably see it in yourself. You probably see that you have taken created things and worshiped them and, and made them number one in your life. You've made, whether it's a person or, a th- or your phone or a sport or a sports team or whatever, you've made things God. And so there's two mistakes you can make. You can remove the creator. You can mix the creator with the creation. And both these things screw it all up. There must be two categories. There needs to be a creator and a creation for reality to work. The breakdown of order, beauty, and the value of life and God's lordship starts with the breakdown of the binary between the creator and the created things. His word is the original stuff. God didn't take raw materials and create the world from it. He created the raw materials. By his word, he spoke the raw materials into existence. And I say by his word, he created stuff, and that's a clue of Jesus, and we're going to get to that. But by his stuff, things are things. Quote that, write that in your journal. Things are things by his word. <laughs> stuff is stuff. Where does that logically lead us? That, that, that God created all things. He created all raw materials for us to be able to live and, and flourish and, and be on this earth. He created it all. Where does that logically lead us? 
is that he's the ruler, is that he is the king, is that he has authority. Actually, in this chapter, um, the, this beginning of, of the Bible, the word for God is Elohim, which has the connotation of majesty. And so there's already kingship, um, kingship influence in the name used for God here in the beginning of Scripture. So because he, is, because he is the creator, he's the author, and without him, nothing exists, he is king, and he is in charge of it. He still has authority over it, and the created things ought to submit to that, us being created things. With his kingship comes a logical movement of our thoughts in our, in our life. So first, it's his, he has divine authority. So over all aspects of life, God rules. Because he created all things, God is still in charge and he rules over all aspects of your life, all aspects of the world. He's still in charge. And because of that, God's creation must be aligned with him, must align one's, one, their life with God or, or the way that they conduct, how they treat people with God. They must submit in obedience to his divine authority. So, that, so he has divine authority because he's king and we must submit to it. But it's not just just submit blindly and be a slave, but it also means God is king and Lord. That means that we can trust and depend on him. It means that we can trust that because he created and because he still rules over his creation, that we can trust that he knows what's going on. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to take care of it. We can rely on God's wisdom, on his power, and on his goodness in our life to guide and provide for us. We need to acknowledge our limitations and trust in God's ability to accomplish his purposes in the creation that he made. Okay, so he's divine authority. We must submit and we should trust. It's a good thing. And this shifts our perspective. This means that life from an eternal and spiritual standpoint, this means that changing our life from seeing things as just right in front of our face as material, as, as we just live and make money and do things. But instead of that, it's, it shifts our standpoint from being um, focused on the material temporary to the eternal, to the spiritual realm that God, that God is still here, that there, he has a kingdom that he is still ruling here on earth among us. And with that perspective, we are drawn to worship and praise. If, if God is truly present and truly rules and is truly the creator and is still the ruler of his creation, how good and beautiful and glorious is that? And this ought to draw us to praise him, to worship him, through worship, we acknowledge God's sovereignty and honor and majesty, and we express gratitude for putting us here, for involving us in his creation, involving us in the good thing that he made. And this is all reality, guys. So I, I kind of want to take a side note and say, like, worship isn't just when you, like, feel like worshiping. Worship is a response to the reality that God is king. It's something that we choose to submit to do, that we do in obedience. It's not just whenever you feel it, like today I was feeling it. I was almost crying in the front row, worshiping God, if you were looking at me. Some days I'm not. Some days it is obedience. But because the reality that God is king and ruler over his creation, that demands our praise. And then we get to participate in his mission. And I'm not going to go too deep into that because the whole chapter of this story is about that. But after worshiping and praising him, we are drawn to join in what he's doing, to be co-authors, to be co-creators. So overall, the kingship of God reminds us of our place in relation to God and the responsibility that we have as his people, as his creation. This should shape our worldview, our values, our actions. It should guide us to live in a manner that reflects the reign of God, that reflects the ruler of this world. God is the creator of everything, and we, along with the rest of creation, are separate from him, and he is our king and ruler, and he's also our author. 
No good author creates without a purpose, and God is not excluded from that. And so my next main point is that God made everything with a purpose. Everything he made, and it was good. How many times is that? I didn't count, I'm not going to count it. A lot of times. <laughs> In it, he, he finished creating something, and he said, and it was good, and he saw that it was good. He declared that it was good. We, um, and it wasn't just there. It wasn't just like, this works. This is something I'm making, and it's just, it's just there. It was, it was good. So there's assessment that God decided that it was a good thing, that what he created was, was good and purposeful, but there's also enjoyment in there. It's enjoyable good. God created and enjoyed his creation. He said, and, and it was good. Like, instead of like, that's just, that's good, that works. It's like, hmm, that's good. <laughs> and this debunks asceticism. I don't know if you've ever heard of asceticism, but it's basically severe discipline and avoidance in forms of just indulging on, on good things that God has given us. Um, because God enjoyed. God made material things and enjoyed them and said that it was good. So we can enjoy the material things that God has given us and declare them good. After a good pour over, mm, that's good. After my mother-in-law makes pretty much anything, mm, that's good. Or, I mean, Caleb and Sarah, you're about to go on a vacation and see some pretty cool stuff, and, and the kids, you're going to see creation, you're going to say, mm, that was good. God created, and it was good. And we get to enjoy that creation. So he made things with a purpose, and one of them is that to be made for enjoyment so that we can enjoy God, enjoy his creation, and be led to worship him. So enjoy the things that God's given you. Enjoy the things that you love. Enjoy the sports that you love. Enjoy the things that you like to participate with God in creation. Um, I don't, whatever it is, what do you enjoy that is kosher <laughs> in the kingdom of God? Enjoy them and let them draw you to thanks and praise to him. I can tell you firsthand that, that, you know, like thanking God for a good meal, thanking God for the good things that you've given us, make them just 10 times better. Knowing that, that it's a gift from, from him, a free gift from him that, that we can enjoy the good material stuff, good coffee, good food, good whatever, makes things 10 times better. Psalm 19, one says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So the glory of God is in all of his handiwork. It's in all the things that he created. And now I, I know you're, you're thinking, but the fall happened. And so this isn't 100% true, but we, I, I can tell you how the story ends. We do get to enjoy the good stuff that God creates now. And we will get to the fall and we'll expound on that more. But I want to tell you right now that God did give you good things to enjoy him in. So he, gave, he made things good. He made things enjoyable. And he gave everything jobs and boundaries. He, he made the sun to rule over the day, the moon to rule over the night, the, the sea and the land had boundaries, and the sky was, is there to separate the sea, and the fish are meant to swim, and the birds are meant to fly. He gave everything jobs, okay? And then he gave humans. He made humans. And I just want to reread that, that part about the humans, where I paused and said, make sure you're paying attention. I'll read it again in case you weren't. <laughs> Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. 
rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. So God gave us jobs. God gave us a role in this creation. The first is, it's that we are made in his image. We're made to reflect his image. And I'll, I'll come right back to it. But he also told us to rule. He said to, to rule this, the, the land, to, be, to take care of the land and to cultivate it and to um, make it good and beautiful, be fruitful, um, enjoy, like I was just talking about, be fruitful and enjoy the land and the things that I've given you. He said that it, later on it says, you know, he gave us every seed bearing plant good for food. And my, I think that's, that's pre-fall because um, I don't really love food green food. Um, but it's good for you. So it's good. Do it. Eat the green food. The fall happens though. So you got to enjoy the green food. But it's, its original purpose is good. I promise. That's what the Bible says. Okay. Um, he says, so he says, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. So do your thing if you're married um, and subdue it. That's all I'm going to say. Um, subdue and subdue the earth to, to take control, to cultivate and to rule this creation that God has made. So he's given us a, in my eyes, a pretty hefty role and probably the most hefty role besides God in the creation story to take care of the thing that he made. Lots of people will like to claim that humans are the pinnacle of creation. And it depends on how you define the word pinnacle, but we are important. That's what I'm going to say, is that humans are important, and God made us as a central part of the creation. Without, this, without us in the creation, it, does, it doesn't, the rest of reality, the rest of the Bible doesn't work how it's supposed to. And so it says, we are the, we are the image of God, the imago Dei, if you're cool and hipster, and to subdue it and fill the earth with other imago Deis, with other people who are of the image of God. And so God's purpose for us is to fill the earth with his picture, to fill the earth with God's picture. That's our job, to fill the earth with his, with his glory. Art reflects its artist. And so we are a picture of who God is. We are a picture of God's glory to this world. And if you're here this morning, and this is the first time you're hearing that, catch 22, there you go. Now you know. Revelation 4, 9 through 11 says, whenever the living creature, creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and power and honor because you have created all things and by your will they exist and, cre and were created. So God created all things, created you, created your neighbor, he created the green plants, he created the mountains, he created everything for his glory. And so what is the purpose of creation? God's glory. God created it for his glory. Every, Isaiah 43, 7, everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory, I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. And like I already mentioned, the fall happens. And so it's hard to see this, this in everything these days, but and we're going to get into that next week, but it's still in the DNA of everything. To quote Caleb's brother, Caleb's brother is also a pastor, if you didn't know it. He said, now you might not know, you might not know a lot about anything, but you know something about everything. You might not know a lot about anything, but now you know something about everything. Everything was created to reflect, reflect God's glory in this world. And so this changes how you do everything. 
This changes how you see the world. This changes how you see people. This changes how you see animals. This changes how you see the sea, see the mountains. This changes how you see everything because we know that in its DNA, at its core, at its best form, it's there to reflect the glory of our God. That is the purpose. That is our purpose. That is creation's purpose is to reflect God's glory. So that's our purpose. That's our lived out purpose. That's how we are supposed to live and that's how we're supposed to treat everything. But what's the big picture? Where is this all going? What's the goal? What's the, the end? What's the telos? So my third um, truth is that oh, rest is the goal of creation. We're going to read that last um, part of the, of the scripture. It's kind of goofy. Whenever they decided to split up the Bible, they really should have put this at the end of chapter one and then start a new chapter, but they didn't. It's okay. Um, so the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. So what is the goal of creation? Rest. On the seventh day, God rested. It didn't say he was fatigued. It didn't say he was tired, but he ceased to work. He, he stopped working. He rested. And his people, Adam and Eve, who, we'll see, who we would see in the next um, part of the creation account were given in this rest. We're created into this rest. This seventh day didn't ever stop until the fall. And like I said, we're going to get there. This is where creation stopped. We were created and put into this state of rest. And we still had jobs. We still had work to do. We still had to glorify and cultivate. But in, in God's, God's ultimate goal for his creation was rest. This idea of rest, or later on in the Bible, they start to call it Sabbath, is traced throughout all of Scripture. In, in the Old Testament, the Israelites are commanded to keep the Sabbath and make it holy, to rest, because God rested on the seventh day. And in the New Testament, we see that we get to Sabbath because God also Sabbath. We get to rest because God rested to reflect his glory. In Hebrews 4, it expounds on that if you want to jump into that more. But we, we experience the fall, but this is still the goal, that we could experience God's rest. God's rest is the goal. That is his, that his creation have rest. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. When we come to Jesus, what we experience is rest. Now I'm going to rattle off some things pretty quick here. Um, if something, if one of these applies to you, I would encourage you to write down the scripture and meditate on it after church today. But God wants you to have rest from your fear. 1 John 4.18. He wants you to have rest from worry, Matthew 6. Rest from anxiety, Philippians 4. Rest from your sin, Romans 6. Rest from efforts to save yourself, the, full book, the whole book of Galatians. Rest from searching for meaning and purpose, right here in the creation account. So if you haven't yet, if you haven't yet experienced God's rest, because it's available to you right now, right now God's rest is available to you through Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to come. Not, not, we're not doing an altar call. I'm not doing that. <laughs> but I do want to invite you to come see who Jesus is all about. Because that rest, the rest, the goal of creation is available in Jesus Christ in your life right now. The God who created is still in authority over his creation. He wants to give you the rest that he intended for us to all experience. He wants to give you that. 
So guys, we're in this, we're in this series of one story. Um, it's, one, it's, it's the one story of the Bible, which really means it's the one story of the reality of our lives and the reality of the world. But really, guys, this is the gospel. This is how the gospel begins, that God created things perfect and good and beautiful and to be in a restful state. But spoiler alert, next week, we learned that we messed it up our selfishness, we messed it up, and that we can't do anything in and of ourselves to save it, to fix it, to make it good again. We can't do anything. We'll see that through when Derek is here the week after that. And then we see that Jesus comes and saves us from that and gives us an opportunity to experience the rest that God has won for you, has created for you, and has made you for. God has made you for rest. God has made you to experience rest. All from the beginning to the end of the Bible, it points to the redeeming work of Christ. Even in in the beginning, in creation account, it points to Jesus being the redeemer, Jesus being a part, he's there from the beginning and they're a part of getting, being um, in the rest of God. I'm gonna read from John 1 really fast. I'm almost done, guys. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, and that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. So the word here, the word that, that Jesus created, you know, the word is the source of all the raw materials of all the earth, right here is saying is Jesus. That without him, all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing that has been created. So stuff is stuff because Jesus, because Jesus was right there in the beginning with God, in the beginning. So the word here is not just verbal expression, it's Jesus. In him, all things were created. Because of Jesus, we can participate in this story of God, in this beautiful one story. It, because of Jesus, we can enjoy the things that God gives us. In, because of Jesus, we can worship him. In, because of Jesus, we can find our purpose. And because of Jesus, we can rest. We can be a part of this beautiful goal of God's creation in rest because of Jesus. Every Sunday we take communion. And so if you didn't grab, if you are a Christian and um, love Jesus, we invite you to take communion with us. There's cups in the back. Um, we celebrate this. We celebrate the real reality, the real truth that God made us for this rest. And that because of Jesus is the only reason we can do that that Jesus died for you, died on the cross and resurrected to show power over our sin, to show power over the thing that keeps us away from this rest. And so as you're taking communion today, think about that. Think about the, how God rescued you and made you available to experience the rest that God made all this for, made all this for. Um, the goal of creation is rest. And again, I wanna invite you, if you haven't experienced that rest, guys, it's beautiful. It's, it's the way to live, and it's reality. It's reality ultimately lived out. And so I love you guys, and I'm going to pray for you. And um, yeah, thanks for having me. Jesus, we um, love you so much, and we turn our lives upon, upon to you, God. Um, we turn our lives to worship you. We turn our lives to rest in you, and we just thank you that that's available to us because of you, God. Your creation is beautiful and your goal for us is beautiful and we want to be a part of that. And so we just thank you that you have welcomed us to be a part of that beautiful creation, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.